Booty, the Fight CRC podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fight Colorectal Cancer's Tabuti Podcast. My name is Sharon Worrell. I'm the Fight, Fight CRC Patient Education Manager. And today I'm excited to welcome back Chelsea Schneider, who is the oncology dietitian at Saver Health. Uh, she joined us last year to talk a little bit about certain nutrition facts around sugar, meat intake, and other, other food aspects. And um, she works at Saver Health, which is a great online provider of personalized nutrition for cancer patients. Um, the organization offers home delivery of individually customized meals. They offer nutritional counseling, menu planning, and access to evidence-based information around nutrition. So their mission there is to make the lives of cancer patients and their caregivers easier and less stressful. And Chelsea is here to give us some insight on some more specific nutrition areas. We're going to talk a little today about alcohol, probiotics, and food safety, and how how to be mindful of these things um, with a colorectal cancer diagnosis. So thanks so much for joining, Chelsea. Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to be here with Saver Health. You definitely pick some very hot topics that as oncology dietitians, we get asked a lot about. So today we will go through all of that good information and and hopefully answer some of your um, hot topic questions. So let's start off with alcohol. Um, I know recently in the news, there was some articles around increased risk of cancer for those who drink alcohol. Can you talk a little bit about that and also how alcohol might affect a colorectal cancer patient? Yes, there is a lot of information in the news on alcohol. There also is a lot of conflicting information. And this arises around the fact that alcohol can be protective against some health conditions. There's a lot of research that maybe one or two drink per day for women or men may lower the risk of heart disease. Usually we see this around things like red wine because of the resveratrol content. Um, but alcohol is not recommended as a heart healthy dietary strategy and it has been associated multiple times in the research as being linked with increasing risk of other diseases like cancer. So the link between alcohol and cancer comes from a few different things. First off, ethanol that's found in alcohol is actually classified as a human carcinogen. When it's metabolized, it forms something called acetaldehyde, which is another carcinogen. Alcohol also acts as a solvent, meaning that it allows carcinotrins to penetrate into cells. 
Um, lastly, alcohol metabolism generates something called reactive oxygen species. So basically, when our body is metabolizing the alcohol, it can really easily damage our DNA, which ultimately can lead to increasing your cancer risk. So for many different reasons, alcohol is linked um, to kind of negative effects with cancer. Interestingly enough, alcohol is also really a concentrated source of calories. So we metabolize different types of foods in our body, and alcohol is metabolized as a fat. Um, many of the top organizations recommend that cancer survivors limit their alcohol intake to no more than two drinks a day for men and one drink a day for women. So what does this really mean? How much you know volume is that? One drink is about 12 fluid ounces of beer. For wine, it is five fluid ounces, and for hard liquor, it's one and a half fluid ounces. So if you do drink socially or regularly, we really try to encourage our patients to limit it to this, two drinks a day for men and one drink a day for women. If you did not drink, we wouldn't recommend starting to drink, but there is a limit on how much alcohol you can consume every day. In September of 2017, the American Institute for Cancer Research, who does a lot of really good human research on diet and nutrition, released a report on colorectal cancer. It was a comprehensive study of 99 research studies, including 29 million cancer patients, and it showed that alcohol intake was associated with increased risk for colorectal cancer. I do have a question about that study that you're referencing. Were these people that were involved in the study drinking more than the recommended amount? Um, did, do you have information about how much they were drinking that increased their risk? So because this was a kind of, we call it meta-analysis, meaning that it reviews a lot of different research studies, there were probably a lot of different parameters and guidelines in each each research study measuring how much people were drinking. And that's actually how they come to these types of conclusions. They look at many, many research studies of all different parameters and what are the commonalities. The commonalities are that it um, that people who are drinking under this limit of two drinks a day for men and one drink a day per woman have no increased risk of cancer occurrence. They have better survival rates. Um, people who drink more than that is that's where the negative outcomes start to appear. Alcohol is part of, you know, a celebration, right? It's often there for parties, holidays, birthdays, um, that kind of thing. So, for folks that are trying to cut back or avoid alcohol, what are some tips that you can offer them to make it a little easier? Some helpful tips might be to find some other beverages that um, are not necessarily sources of calories like soda or juice, but things that can still be interesting and exciting for you, such as flavored self beverages or making a big pitcher of water and perhaps, you know, if it's holiday times, putting some mint in it or putting some ginger in it. Um, so finding different types of interesting beverages that you can still enjoy while family and friends are maybe enjoying alcoholic beverages and you want to cut down on that. Also, something that I recommend to my patients is if you do want to have, you know, the five ounces of wine or the one and a half 
ounces of hard liquor, you could always water it down or ice it down so that you could split that over two different servings. So I think that that covers it for alcohol. Let's move on to probiotics. So um, Fight Colorectal Cancer has recently funded some research around the microbiome to learn a bit more about how the microbiome affects colorectal cancer um, diagnosis and treatment options. And something that always comes up for us is, okay, well, how do I replenish my gut microbiome? Is it through probiotics? What's the best probiotic for me to take? And what exactly are probiotics? So would you be able to give us a brief overview about what they are and how to get them? Absolutely. So let's start with the, with one of your questions. What are probiotics? Probiotics are basically defined as live microorganisms, which when they are consumed in adequate amounts, confer a health effect on the host. So that host would be basically our gut, what is living inside of our stomach. Most probiotics consist of lactic acid producing non-virulent bacteria, meaning that it is live bacteria, but nothing that is going to make you sick like a virus type of bacteria. Um, really common ones that you might have heard of are lactobacillus or saccharomyces boulardii. They have these really long, fancy names. And probiotics have become really, really popular over the last few years for their perceived health benefits. They've been in a lot of research studies with helping with digestive issues, immune function, and even maybe helping with nutrient absorption. But most recently, as you mentioned, a lot of research is going into basically what is your microbiome and each of us have very different microbiomes but what can help you kind of make your bacteria in your gut function the best and even possibly get health benefits from it there have even been some research studies recently seeing if there's a link between an individual's microbiome and how they metabolize or respond to certain cancer treatments. So this is a really, really interesting area of research that's coming out, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what the future holds for those types of studies. Um, so probiotics, like I mentioned, have been um, in a variety of different research studies with different diagnoses, such as inflammatory bowel disease, gastroenteritis, IBS, allergies, things like that. But there also is a lot of research for cancer patients and to see if there's any benefit of that. Some of the current research studies shows that the strongest evidence for the effectiveness of probiotics for a cancer patient is when you have diarrhea associated with treatment. There also have been some preliminary research studies to suggest that probiotics might have anti-carcinogen protection uh, potential, such as lactobacillus has shown to have a protective effect against certain types of colorectal cancer. Probiotics also may aid in controlling symptoms associated with cancer treatment. That would um, apply more to someone who is actively on cancer treatment and might be experiencing something like diarrhea associated with radiation therapy or chemotherapy. In other studies, perioperative probiotic treatment, meaning before taking probiotics before you go in for surgery and building up your microbiome showed that uh, was associated with reduced surgical site infection 
in patients undergoing colorectal cancer surgery. So basically, the research study shows that the main benefits of taking probiotic might be before you have surgery for colorectal cancer or if you're actively having symptoms um, while you're on cancer treatment. Interesting. So um, quick question. If someone is on, um, let's say they're on treatment, they're, they're on their chemotherapy regimen, would it be useful to take probiotics at that time? The main side effects that probiotics have been shown to be effective for is if you are actively having diarrhea. The research doesn't necessarily say to take them proactively, but because there are no contraindications to taking probiotics, if someone feels that they wanted to add that into their diet or their routine, it would generally be safe. The only time we would recommend not taking a probiotic is if you have something called neutropenia. And we'll talk a lot about this of food safety, but neutropenia is when a certain part of your blood counts drops below a normal level. Um, at this time, because it is your white blood cells which help fight off infection, we do not recommend taking any sort of bacteria. Although pro probiotics are healthy bacteria, just to be safe, we recommend avoiding any probiotics if your blood counts um, drop below this normal level. Awesome. And so what are some ways to get probiotics? Can you get them naturally through foods or is it better to get them at your grocery store or, or um, you know, health food store? As a dietitian, I'm always going to say food first. And some food sources of probiotics are yogurt that has live and active cultures in it. And it will always say that on the label. Something called miso, which is um, a fermented um, paste that you can make into miso soup or use in a marinade. Tempeh kefir, which is kind of like a mix between milk and yogurt. I like to call it a drinkable yogurt, and it's very, very high in probiotics. Uh, pickled vegetables, sauerkraut, and kimchi are also great sources of probiotics. Question. On the other hand, you sorry, before you, you jump in um, to the next piece there, for individuals that are avoiding dairy for whatever reason, are there yogurts, like um, non-dairy yogurt that have probiotics included? For those who are avoiding dairy, there are dairy yogurt alternatives that do contain line live and active cultures. You just have to be um, looking for that on the label. So something like the So Delicious brand that makes the coconut um, and the almond milk yogurt do add strains of probiotics in there as well. So if you are choosing to take a probiotic in the supplement form, of course, consult your dietitian or your doctor, and they can help guide you in the right direction of which type and which brand to get. But just some things to look for is that they do come in a lot of different strengths. You might see the term CFU, that means colony forming units, and that refers basically to how concentrated in probiotics the supplement is. It ranges from 1 billion to 50 billion. So it's a really wide range, but I would recommend trying to get somewhere near the 10 billion range. The products are live because they do contain bacteria. So you do want to check the expiration dates and see if the product that you buy requires 
respiration, because some of them um, require that you keep it in colder temperatures. Um, another very important thing to look at if you are shopping for a probiotic in the pill form is the different types of strains that the probiotic pill contains. Some probiotic pills only contain one strain, like lactobacillus, but you actually do benefit from multiple strains. So the more strains in one pill that you can find, the better. Great. Any final tips for folks that are interested in starting to take probiotics? Yeah, I want to touch on the word prebiotics because you might... Uh, when you are shopping for a probiotic or reading online, you might also see the term prebiotic. Prebiotics are actually non-digestible carbohydrates. So we eat them, but we don't necessarily digest them. And they act for food for probiotics. So when they are in our digestive system or our gut, or our gut the probiotics kind of thrive off of them. And you can get this in the food form, and some common ones are jicama, Jerusalem artichoke, dandelion greens, garlic, onions, leeks, chives, and scallions. Um, some foods contain both pre and probiotics, like cheese, kefir, and yogurt. So there, it is important to know the difference, and when you're taking your probiotic pill, it's often recommended to take it with food for that reason. Okay, great. Thank you. And for our final topic area today, um, we were going to talk a little bit about food safety. And I'm not sure, I, I know in the summertime, this comes up a lot, people are having barbecues, there's, you know, salads left out and, you know, any kind of gathering, really, there's food safety. But I think when most people are talking about food safety, we're talking about it as it relates to, you know, going to the restaurant and the restaurant is given a, a pass or fail or um, a grade. But these are things that are really important to think about when preparing food for yourself or preparing food for other people, um, both cancer patients and survivors and caregivers and friends and family. Um, why is food safety so important for people with colorectal cancer? Yeah, that's a great question. Food safety is definitely a hot topic. And over the years, a lot of the research has changed. So I'm glad that we're discussing this today. The importance of food safety during cancer treatment relates to the effect that cancer treatments can have on a person's blood counts. So if you're actively on cancer treatment, your physician might have spoken to you about the different parts of your blood and how they can change. Um, one part of your blood is white blood cells. They might become low during cancer treatment. When the white blood cells are low, because they are the cells that kind of fight off infection and bacteria, you are um, at a higher risk for getting sick from different bacteria, whether this be, you know, on the subway or grabbing a door handle or bacteria on food. So it is really important for cancer patients who are actively on treatment to be extra cautious of food safety. Normally, someone may be able to eat something with a little bit of bacteria and fight it off. But if your white blood counts are low um, and you don't have those extra white blood cells, you are at a higher risk of getting sick from certain things. Many years ago, the old food safety guidelines prevented cancer patients from eating any raw food due to the risk of bacteria. But now that treatments and our care has improved, many hospitals and organizations are liberalizing their food safety guidelines. 
Um, at this time, many hospitals and organizations don't um, recommend that there is a need to avoid fresh fruits and vegetables regularly, as this practice has not been shown to reduce the number of major infections. But if your blood counts are low and you're actively on treatment, you might want to avoid some of the really high-risk foods like raw fish, raw meat, raw eggs, and unpasteurized food and beverages, which means that certain foods and beverages have not been pasteurized, which is a process of killing off bacteria. And some common things would be like a, a raw juice. If you go to a juice bar or buy like a green juice in the grocery store, something like honey and really fresh cheeses. The other really important part of food safety is not only what you eat, but how and when you eat something. So you can refer to um, something like food safety on the government website or the FDA for safe food handling processes, meaning how long should I keep leftovers um, and what the temperature is to um, heat and reheat certain foods. Okay, um, so how how can friends and family be more conscious of food safety when preparing food for their loved one who's... That's great, and there are four um, kind of basic steps for food safety. So clean everything, clean your hands, clean surfaces, and clean utensils that you're going to use to prepare any food with for your friend or family member. The next step is to always separate. So separate raw foods and cooked foods when you're preparing them, um, just to avoid any cross-contamination. The next step is to cook. So to cook at the safe temperatures and to cook leftovers to safe temperatures. And then the last step is chill. So to refrigerate um, and freeze food appropriately. And if you're interested in more information, such as like the temperatures and how long it is safe to keep leftovers and keep, thing in, keep food in the refrigerator and freezer, the FDA has all of these guidelines on their website. Those are all great tips to know. And, and thank you for the background about why it's important to pay attention and be mindful of your food safety and how you're cooking and preparing foods at home. Do you have any final comments or tips for people around food safety? Um, another question we often get asked around food safety is if there are any foods that you can eat that will help raise your blood counts. Um, unfortunately, there is not one specific food or one specific diet change that has been proven to increase our white blood cells. But just in general, good nutrition has been linked to better blood counts. So just making sure um, even if your appetite isn't the best or your taste is a little off, that you prioritize eating well and eating a good diet. Eating good quality protein is important because um, our bodies get the building blocks, which are amino acids, from the protein we eat to make new white blood cells. So just in general, making sure you're prioritizing your nutrition and your diet as you're going through treatment. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Um, and thank you for taking the time out of your day to come um, talk to us about some of these hot topic foods. We love having you on our podcast and hope to have you back again sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. 
For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org. 